Thank you, Praise Band, for leading us in worship. And uh, we are talking about excelling in the race of life. How many of you have been watching any of the Olympics this past year? Anybody? A few of you? All right. I can say I haven't really watched much of the Olympics, but you do have to admire those athletes who uh, spend countless hours training, preparing, dieting, working out, practicing just to get a chance to win a medal. Now, they spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of investment just for an opportunity to win a medal. It's not even a guarantee, but they put a lot of energy into trying to, to excel in their sport. You know, we get enamored by sports sometimes, don't we? I mean, Kathy loves to watch NASCAR, and so uh, she's always kind of been a NASCAR enthusiast. Not my thing, but it's her thing. And uh, today, actually, the, the Daytona 500 kind of kicks off the, the racing season. So that's taking place. You know, I like to watch college baseball when I get an opportunity, but I love to watch college football. I mean, I love it when college football season comes around. I mean, I watch every team. It doesn't matter who's playing, except with, with the exception of one team. <laughs> but I love to watch college football. You know, I heard one husband uh, say to his wife just before football season began, he said, now, football season is about to begin. Is there anything you need to say to me before it starts? <laughs> Now, sports are just a part of our culture. It's, it's who we are as a culture. But, you know, sports were also important back in the first century as well. I mean, sports were big events. In the first century, they had world-renowned athletic games. They had the Olympics. And it happened every four years, similar to our modern-day Olympics. They also had a, 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 the, the Pythian Games that were held every four years. And the Pythian Games included competitions and things like art and dance. There were also the Nemean games, which were held every two years, and they consisted of things like foot races and equestrian events. Then they had things called the Isthmian games, and all these big events were staggered so they didn't fall at the same time. That would allow the people who had wealth and means and influence so they could attend all these events. And you think about every city back in those days had a coliseum of some sort, a sports arena. In fact, when we were in Israel just a little over a year ago, we went to one of those sports arenas. We were on the Mediterranean Sea. There was a city built by Herod the Great called Caesarea. And at Caesarea, there was a hippodrome. And you've seen the horse races in the movies and they would race around that circle. Well, that was a hippodrome. And those things were massive stadiums. In fact, we think our stadiums are big, but their stadiums were about six football fields long. So they were pretty massive and thousands of people would gather to watch those events. And I don't know this for sure, but I kind of have a hunch. I believe the Apostle Paul must have enjoyed sports because a lot of times when he referred to the Christian life, he used sports analogies. For example, he, he compared the Christian life to a boxing match. Sometimes he would re refer to the Christian life as a wrestling match. And then there were times where he referred to the Christian life as a race. Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. But whoever wrote it, I suspect they were a sports enthusiast also. Because in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews referred to the Christian life as a race. Have you ever thought about your Christian life, your Christian journey as a race? Well, that's how the writer of Hebrews described it. And the Christian life is a race. It's not a stroll. 
The Christian life is not a sprint. It is a long distance endurance, endurance race. You know, the Christian life is not a 100 yard dash. It's a marathon. It's a journey. And so when we think about the, the word that was used for race in Hebrews chapter 12, the word is agnon. It's the word by which we get our English word agony. Can you think about that? The Christian life can be agonizing at times. Would you think that's true? At times, the Christian life is difficult. It requires endurance and discipline. And it can be agonizing at times. You know, when people think about running a race that's agonizing, most people don't get enthusiastic about that. Most people don't get encouraged about running a race that's agonizing. In fact, I read some quotes about people when they thought about running or racing. This is what they said. One person said, my doctor told me that running could add years to my life. After running, I think he was right. I feel 10 years older already. One person is attributed to Neil Armstrong. He said, I believe the good Lord gave us a finite number of heartbeats. And I'm not going to use mine up on running up and down the street. Another lady said, when I go running, I go when I have to. For example, when I have to chase the ice cream truck. Another person said, we can't all be heroes because someone needs to sit on the curb and clap as they go by. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible refers to the Christian life as a race. And so this sermon that we're going to be looking at today is in two parts. Today is part one. Next Sunday will be part two. And we're going to learn how to excel in the race of life. And so I know you've got your Bibles open and ready to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to begin in verse one, just a few verses. We're really going to focus on one verse this morning, but we're going to read four. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls and you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. Notice in verse one, it says, let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Now listen, if you are an authentic, authentic follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, you're already in the race. You are in the race. It doesn't matter what your physical abilities are. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what some of your physical limitations are. This is not a physical race. This is a spiritual race. It's a spiritual journey. And there are two things I want you to know before we really get into the message. The first thing I want you to know about this race is it's a personal race. It's your race. The Bible says God has set before you a course for your life. He set before you a race for you to run. It's your race, not my race. You have to run your race. I have to run my race. Nobody can run your race for you, and you can't run my race for me. It's a personal race. It's your own personal race. The second thing I want you to notice is it's, it's a permanent race. You're in this race till the day that the Lord calls you home. And so many people get to a point in their lives where they say something like this. Well, you know, I've done my part. It's time for somebody else to serve. You ever heard that? 
It's like, okay, I've already done my part. I'm just going to sit, soak, and sour. That's going to be my goal. And I'm so thankful for so many of our older folks in our church who they don't do that. They stay in the race. They're staying engaged. They keep running. They keep serving. They are engaged. And so many people just drop out and quit. And I want you to know, every single Christian, if you are a Christian in this room, you will finish your race. It's not if you're going to finish, it's how you finish. Not everybody will finish the race well. Everybody's going to finish, but they will not finish well. They will not excel in the race. And so in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it really tells us how to excel in this race of the Christian life. In verse 1, it says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, every race needs a destination. Every race has a destination. If you're going to excel in the Christian life, you have to know your destination. There's a race that's been set before you. There is a destination. Now, I want to make something clear before we get too far. Salvation is not the destination. You're not running the race to be saved. You're running the race because you are saved. When you got saved, when you came to know Christ, when you were born again, that was the starting line. You are already in the race. You run because you're saved, not to be saved. So salvation is not the destination. I'm going to shock you a little bit. I don't think heaven is the destination either. Heaven is, is not the destination for the race. It is the destination for every believer. If you are a follower of Christ, one day you will be in heaven. But you're not running to get into heaven. Heaven is really the reward. It's not the destination. Salvation is the starting line. So what is the goal? What is the destination? The goal is for you to finish well. The goal is for you to finish well how you run this life. And every one of you has a race set before you. Did you know that everybody, if you're a believer, you have a God-given goal for your life, a God-given purpose for your life? You have a destination. Now, you might be here thinking, well, I don't know my destination. I don't know God's goal for my life. I don't know God's will for my life. Adrian Rogers once said, so many Christians are just drawing breath and drawing a salary and have no idea what God's will is for their lives. You know, the Bible says that God has numbered every hair on your head. Now, some of you might think, well, that's no big feat. But listen, when, when everything was well, God numbered every hair on your head. He knows you. Do you think if God's going to number your, the hair, hair on your head that he's not going to give you a purpose for your life? God has given you a purpose for your life. He's given you a destination, a goal. You say, but I don't know what that goal is. Do you think that God's just going to open up a, a map just like you go to the mall and you have that little sign that says you are here? And then he says, you know, uh, this is your destination. In 10 years, this is where you ought to be. In 15 years, this is where you should be. In 20 years, this is where you should be. You think that's how God's going to unfold his will for your life? That's not how God reveals his will. God reveals his will for your life when you uh, uh, obey the truth he's already given you. As you begin to obey and follow him in faith, he begins to reveal more and more of his will and purpose for your life. But so many people are just wandering through life. They're just struggling because they don't know their direction. You know, right now, you know there's something in your life that God's told you to do. There's something that you know God's been urging you to do, but you haven't been willing to do it. 
But until you do, you're not going to get more instruction on what the next step will be. God gives you step-by-step instruction for where he wants you to be. You know, in Psalm 119, 105, the Bible says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Did you know a lamp gives you just enough light for the next step? And why is God going to give you more understanding of his word if you won't obey what you already know? And so as we begin to obey more and more of God's word, he begins to reveal more and more of his word to us. So it begins to help us step by step. And if you want to know the destination, you need to obey what God's telling you to do right now. I don't know if y'all have ever done this before. I've, I've done it. Have you ever tried to steer a boat into a, like a boating dock? Sometimes that can be challenging, but you know, it's even more challenging if the boat's not moving. You know, it's a whole lot better when that boat's in drive and it's moving forward so that you can guide it. And so if God's going to move you into the right direction, you need to be moving actively, putting into practice the truths that he's already given you. So you need to get moving and let God guide you to the destination you know, as I think about so many people that think, am I, am I ever going to get there? Am I, ever, ever, am I ever going to be successful? A verse that I used to cling to when I was in college. I mean, I was I remember, um, you know, going to class. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'd wonder, am I going to make, make it through all my classes and, you know, succeed and all those types of things? And this verse would always come to mind. Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will complete it. Stay focused on the destination. The second thing I want you to notice, if you're, going to, if you're going to excel in the race of life, you need to know the direction, but you also need inspiration. Don't you need inspiration sometimes to run the, to run the race? I want you to look back at Hebrews 12.1 for a moment. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who is this great cloud of witnesses? Who are these witnesses that are to inspire us? The cloud of witnesses are the Old Testament believers who are mentioned in chapter 11, who we call the heroes of faith. We think about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Jephthah, and Samson, and David, and Samuel. And some of you have been studying Daniel in your connect groups. You know, you could add Daniel, and Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. There are other saints not even included in that, in that list that give us inspiration to run the race. You know, every now and then I hear people say, well, the Old Testament is kind of outdated. It's really not necessary. And some people say that the Old Testament is really not valuable to us today. We live by the New Testament, not by the Old. But I want to give you a verse, and you ought to etch this in your memory. Romans 15, 4 says this. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, our instruction, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You know why those things are included? To inspire us to excel in the race and not to give up. Now these Old Testament figures, they weren't super saints. They were just ordinary people like you and me that did ordinary things in faith. That was the key. 
And so the Old Testament gives us some, some of the greatest inspiration to live the Christian life. And that inspiration comes from those who have gone before. That inspiration comes from people who have already run the race and excelled. For those who have run the race and have finished well, we get those kinds of instruction from the Scripture. And maybe today you're struggling in your race and you're thinking about just giving up. Things have gotten difficult. And you wonder why the Christian life has to be so difficult. Have you ever wondered that? Why does it have to be so hard? You know, sometimes it is agonizing to follow Christ. And maybe you feel like you're being treated unfairly by friends or maybe by family. And maybe you think you're just going to give up and just quit. It's not worth it. And God says, I summons Joseph to the witness stand. I want you to give a witness right now to what you went through. And Joseph steps up to the witness stand and he begins to testify how difficult things were for him and how he endured and finished well. He begins to tell about how he was thrown into a pit by his own brothers. And then, then how he was sold into slavery by his own brothers and abandoned. And then Joseph begins to tell how he was serving in Potiphar's house and then he was falsely accused of committing sexual abuse against Potiphar's wife. And Joseph tells the whole story. He says, then he starts talking about the 13 worst years of his life that he spent in prison, wrongfully accused. And Joseph begins to say, keep running the race. Even when you're abused, even when you're abandoned, stay the course. God has something down the road that you can't see at the moment. And one day, he will deliver. And when people try to defame you, know one day when you're faithful, God will exalt you in due time. And so Joseph gives a testimony. Stay in the race. Keep running. Or maybe this morning you faced a lot of tragedies in your life. And I know some of you have had some hardships, struggles. Maybe you've had a loved one that has gone on to be with the Lord. And you're just struggling with that. It's hard. Or maybe your, your health is failing you and you're not able to do the things that you once did and you're struggling in that regard. And maybe you think, oh, you know, I, just, I just need to give up. I don't understand why I have to go through these heartaches. And God says, Job, I call on you to take the witness stand. I want you to testify. And Job takes the witness stand. And Job begins to tell what it was like the day that he got the news that not one of his children but all of his children tragically died. And how difficult it was that day to get that news. And then Job begins to tell the story about how hard it became the day he lost all of his finances. He lost his finances quicker than the stock market crash of the 1920s. And all of a sudden he realized he was destitute financially. Then Job, then Job begins to tell a story about how his Health began to fail. He began to get these sores all over his body and they began to, to, to almost be septic in some ways and began to have a stench that it repulsed those people around him and nobody wanted to be near him. And Job begins to tell what it was like to struggle in that regard. He says that some of his friends used to accuse him of having some type of sin in his life and that's why God allowed him to suffer that way. And Job couldn't really call out anything that really would have contributed to that happening. And so he was being accused by his friends. 
Job says, you know, the only thing that really I didn't lose was my wife, my loving wife. Who told me you ought to just go ahead and curse God and die. Job tells a story. He says, don't give up. Don't quit. Stay in the race. As long as there's breath in your lungs, you need to run the race for Jesus because there is a finish line and there is a destination. Or maybe, maybe this morning God's been telling you to step out and do something in faith and you've been resisting it. Maybe God's told you to lead a small group or a Bible study. Maybe he's told you to go on a, on a mission trip. Maybe he's told you to witness to one of your coworkers, and you think, I just can't do that. I don't have enough faith to do it. I don't know where to start. God says, Abraham, take the stand. You're next. And Abraham takes the stand. He says, you know, I can speak to that. I remember the day that God told me to leave my home, my family, my friends, and go to a foreign land. I didn't even know where I was going. I didn't know where the next step was going to be. I didn't know where I was even going at that time, but I took the first step in faith. And now when I look back, I see all my ancestors, all my descendants who are living in the promised land, what we know as Israel. He said, oh, I didn't see it then, but I see it now. I didn't understand it all then, but now I see it clearly. You know what he would say to you? What he would say to me? Take the first step. Take the first step in faith. You might not see it now, but you will see it one day. Or maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're watching our live stream or maybe you're sitting in this room and maybe you're just struggling with some giants in your life. Maybe you're intimidated by some giants in your life. Maybe you have the giant of addiction. Maybe it's an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction. Or maybe you're, you're, you're facing the giant of pornography. And when you look at those giants, they seem unconquerable. And maybe you're facing the giant of a broken marriage or a broken relationship and you don't see how it could ever be possible to restore it. God looks over at David. He says, David, I want you to take the stand. David walks up to the witness stand and he sits down. And he begins to retell the story of the day he faced Goliath. David says, you know, when I saw Goliath, it looked impossible. I mean, he was intimidating. He was a giant of a man. He said he intimidated the entire army of Israel. Nobody thought it was possible to defeat him. He said, and really, when I looked at him, I, I wondered the same thing at first. But then I realized there's no man bigger than my God that I worship. There's no man bigger than the God that I serve. And so I decided I, he can be defeated. And what seemed impossible to our army, even to King Saul, I believe was possible with God. And so the funny thing is, he says, King Saul wanted to dress me up in all his armor. It just wouldn't fit for me. It wasn't what I needed. I just needed my simple weapons that I was familiar with. That's all I needed. And I remember when I stepped onto that battlefield that day, I took with me my sling and my five stones because that's what I was used to working with. And I remember stepping out on that battlefield and Goliath began to make fun of me for being such a puny little boy. Young, small, called me a little punk. And I told him how big my God was. And then I took that sling and I slung it and that rock popped him right between the eyes. And that day I saw a giant fall. And you may have some giants in your life, but David would say, God can make the giants fall. They're not bigger than he is. I think if 
Philippians 4.13 was written when David lived. He would have said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And whatever giants are in your life, Jesus is greater. And so if you're struggling, maybe you've gotten out of the race. Maybe you're thinking about quitting. You need to go back to Hebrews 11 and learn from the saints. To be inspired by the saints. Learn from their examples. Learn from their successes. Learn from their failures. These Old Testament witnesses remind us that we are not in the race alone. People have already run it before us and they are our witnesses to tell us that you can do it as well. We have this great cloud of witnesses. I think they would say to us, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did in our lives, he can do in yours. And this is the great cloud of witnesses that's passing the baton to you and me and telling us to run the race of faith. I think they would say what God did through us, he can do through you. Don't we need an inspiration every now and then? Sometimes we struggle and we need to be inspired. And God has given us these Old Testament saints to inspire you. So if you're going to excel in the Christian race, you need to, to know your destination. You need some inspiration, but you also need some preparation. No athlete competes and does it well without preparation. They must prepare. No athlete uh, runs a race and thinks they're going to win it unless they've been preparing for the race. A, an athlete doesn't just want to qualify for the race. He wants to run the race and he wants to win the race. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the writer says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You know that word, lay aside? It really means to just strip off, to cast aside. I like how the Amplified Bible puts it. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. Therefore then... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, which is an unnecessary weight. And that sin which so readily, deftly and cleverly clings to and entangles us. We're to strip off every weight and every sin that entangles. So if you want to prepare for the race, you strip off every weight have you ever noticed how an Olympic runner gets up to the starting block? What's the first thing they do? They come up there with their, their big tennis shoes on. They have their overalls on. And then you look, they got a backpack with all their snacks in it, so they'll have it for the journey. That's not how they go to the starting block, is it? When you see an Olympic runner go up to that starting block, what is he wearing? As little as he can. It's usually tight and small and light because he knows he has to to dress light if he wants a chance. He doesn't want to be weighted down. In the Greek Olympic Games, from what I've read, runners would strip down to nothing but a smile because they didn't want anything to hold them back or hinder them in any way. J. Vernon McGee was telling the story of a famous runner named Gil Dodds. Gil Dodds was known as the flying man because he was so fast. He once held the world record in the one-mile event. Well, Gil Dodds eventually left running and went to seminary and went into ministry. Because that was his love. His love was for God and wanting to serve God. But J. Vernon McGee said some of us went to the track one day at the University of Southern California to watch him run. 
And they watched him run around the track a few times in his tennis shoes. And then right before the race, he comes back and he begins to take those tennis shoes off and he begins to put on his uh, track shoes. And a guy says, hey, does it really make that much difference? I mean, why do you feel like you need to change shoes? Gildog took off one of his tennis shoes and he tossed it to him. And then he took off one of his track shoes and he tossed it to him. He said, you know, it's not a lot of difference in the weight, but it's just enough to cause me to lose the race. Just a little weight. You know, in the Christian life, there are a lot of things that aren't really wrong, but there are weights in the Christian life and they hold us back. Now, the question is, what are the weights that encumber you? What are the weights that encumber me from running the race well? The word weight there doesn't mean something that's wrong. It doesn't mean something that's sinful. The word weight is something that's amoral. And amoral means that it's not good and it's not bad. It just is. I remember a few years ago, we used to play church softball games. How many of you remember playing church softball? Anybody? A few of you remember playing church softball. And it was fun. We enjoyed doing it. Those were good days. Well, I remember we were playing church softball and there was a guy who played on our team. And he started chewing tobacco when we were out there playing. He said, you know, I know I shouldn't be chewing tobacco. He said, but every, but every time I start playing softball, I just can't help myself. I, that's what I do. I said, well, you know, there's a real quick solution to that. He said, what is it? I said, don't play church softball. He said, well, what's wrong with church softball? Nothing. But it's a weight in your life. And it doesn't have to be a good thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It just has to be a weight in your life. Do you know, you know the challenge that we have as Christians? It's not always choosing between good and bad, right and wrong. Sometimes it's choosing between good and best. The good and the best. And, you know, a good athlete knows how to discern what is good and what is best. But a good thing can become a bad thing when it keeps you from doing the best thing. Would you agree with that? And some of you are enamored by things like television or Facebook or social media or TikTok. And you just get engrossed in those things. And, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of them inherently. You know, some people used to call the TV the plug-in drug. And it, they said it wasn't the behavior that it produced, but the behavior that it prevented. Because you were so occupied, you never achieved what you should be achieving. And so for a lot of people, TV and video games and Facebook and social media and TikTok, they're just weights. And they're preventing you from running the race that God has set before you. You know, there's nothing wrong with fishing. There's nothing wrong with playing golf. Those are good things to do, but if fishing or golf keeps you away from church or keeps you away from serving God, it's a weight in your life. Now, the weight in your life might be a hobby. It might be a civic group. It might be a relationship. It might be some activity. I can't tell you what the weight is for you. You have to discern that for yourself. What is the weight that's preventing you from running the race that God set before you? And right now, maybe while I'm talking about it, something comes to your mind immediately that you know is hindering you from running the race that God set before you. And you already know what it is. And maybe some of you are here this morning and you're saying, you know, I would love to host a small group. I would love to help with Awana. I would love to participate in the disaster relief. I'd love to go on a mission trip somewhere. But I've just got so many irons in the fire. What you might be really saying is, I've just got too many weights that I can't fulfill the mission that God's given me for my life. 
You say, well, can you show me in the Bible where it says my hobby is wrong? Or can you show me in the Bible where it says spending all this time in Facebook is wrong? Can you show me in the Bible where it says that participating on uh, some type of social media or, or some uh, civic group or some hobby, is that, can you show me where that's wrong? Well, I can't show you in the Bible where it says thou shalt not do such and such. But twice in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul dealt with the weights that drag us down. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul said this, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He's talking about being drugged down by weights. It might be a good thing, but it might not be a helpful thing. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul almost recites the same statement. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. It might be a good thing, but it might not be something that builds me up. It might not be something that helps me excel in my race that God set before me. And whenever those weights prevent you from running the race, they are harmful. Some of you used to serve in the church, but you've quit because you've let some weight drag you down. I remember what Paul said to, to the believers in Galatia and Galatia. Galatians chapter 5, he said this, You ran well. Who hindered you from running? Who weighed you down? Who kept you from obeying the truth? Now the writer of Hebrews said, Whatever weight is keeping you from excelling in the race that God set before you, you need to strip it off. Lay it aside. Now that's not my word. That was the writer of Hebrews' word. Now the second thing, if you want to prepare for the race, we need to to lay aside that weight, but we also need to strip off the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, the first thing, he wasn't talking about a sin. He was just talking about something that was neither good or bad, but now he's specifically talking about a sin that trips you up. Have you ever seen a marathon runner? I, they get up to the block and they kneel down and then they tie their shoelaces together. You ever seen somebody do that? They don't tie their shoelaces together. They don't leave their shoelaces untied. No, they make sure they're tight and ready. Because they don't want to trip when it comes to the race. I've seen Olympic runners trip after they spent all those years preparing, getting ready for the race, and trip and get disqualified because they couldn't finish, because they were tripped up. And the Bible says we're to strip off anything, any sin in our lives that would easily trip us up. We're to strip off anything that slows us down or anything that trips us up. We need to be alert to those sins that trip us up. You know, Paul wrote it like this in Romans 13, 12. He said, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We need to strip off the works of darkness. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul said, put off concerning your former conduct, the way you used to live, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Put him off. Colossians 3.8, Paul said, But now you yourselves are to put off these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. We need to strip the sin off that so easily ensnares us. You know, that word ensnare talks about a vine that would wrap around a tree and literally ensnare it, entrap it, entangle it. 
And everyone in this room and everyone watching on live stream struggles with sin. We all do. We all have problems with things like bitterness or selfishness or unforgiveness or pride or greed or whatever that sin is that entangles you. And maybe you say, well, you know, I don't struggle with any of those things. Well, then you need to put your wings on, get your halo on and fly around so we can all look at you. We all struggle with sin. We're not talking about sinless perfection. You know, I think about when I was preparing for this message, I thought, you know, this is true in my own life. Every day I have to come back to the throne of grace and say, God, forgive me for something I did, something I said, something I thought or something I didn't do that I should have done. And that's every day. I'm always having to come back. And if you're struggling with a sin, you need to pray what David prayed in Psalm 139, 23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's a wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If something's wrong, ask God to show you. Sometimes we just get blind to our own sin. Show me where I'm at. You know, a wise person once said this. You better learn to treat your sin as your sin would treat you. Your sin will be mercy, merciless with you and you ought to be merciless with your sin because sin will destroy you. But so many times we like to nurture our sin. We like to nurse it, justify it, defend it, tolerate it. And Peter in 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. And that one sin, whatever it is, while you're nursing it, it will hold you back. It will trip you up. You really cannot make progress in the race until you deal with the sin that so easily ensnares. I don't know about you, but sometimes when they, when they have shark week during the summer, I like to watch that. Have you ever heard of sh uh, shark tonic? Uh, shark, shark tonic is not something that they give sharks to keep them from being aggressive. It's not something that they give sharks to treat them as uh, for some uh, disease. A shark tonic is whenever they, they uh, put a shark in what they call a, um, it's, not, it's like a tonic immobility. Almost in a catatonic state, they will flip that shark over on its back. And when they do, it begins to be immobile. They can take a powerful, dangerous shark and render it vulnerable just by flipping it over. It's called tonic immobility. And when you think about sin, that's exactly what it looks like in a believer's life. Is tonic immobility. It renders you immobile. It makes you vulnerable. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says you need to strip off every weight that hinders and every sin that so easily ensnares you. And I'm going to ask you a few questions. Is there a weight that's holding you back from running the race that God set before you? Was there ever a time in your life where you were serving more for Christ and somehow you were uh, gotten distracted or hindered? Maybe you were enthusiastic about your service for Christ, but now it's just beginning to be cold and just a chore. Is there sin that you're dealing with that keeps tripping you up? Is there sin that you're nursing that you need to deal with? Maybe you know it's wrong, but you just keep justifying it and nursing it and excusing it. You can never excel in the race 
sit before you until you strip off the things that hold you back and trip you up. So we get to our invitation. Let me just ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. Bow your heads. I just want to, I'm going to ask a few questions. I want just between me and you, not everybody else. So if you would just cooperate with me just a moment. I want to ask a question. How many of you this morning are sitting here and you say, you know, I know for a matter of fact that I'm saved. I'm born again. Not because of my goodness. Not because I've run well the race of life. Not because, you know, uh, of my, my family heritage or my, what I've given or how I've served. The reason I know I'm saved because there was a time in my life where I repented of my sin and I turned to Christ and I put my trust in him. If you can say that this morning, just me looking, nobody else, would you just lift your hand and say, I know I'm saved. Would you just raise your hand? Amen. You can put your hands down. Amen. How many of you today can say, you know, I know I'm saved. I've trusted in Christ. I'm a follower. I'm legitimately his child. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got some weights in my life. I've got some sin in my life that's holding me back. Would you say, I just need somebody to pray for me? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Or maybe you're sitting in this room this morning. You say, you know, I, I can say I'm honestly not a believer. I've never trusted Christ. I've never turned from my sin and turned to Christ. I want you to know the good news is that Jesus wants to save you. He wants to set you on the course, put you in the race. But there's some things that you need to do. And I'm just going to have a little prayer. And I want you just to repeat it after me. It's just a simple prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's just a prayer that expresses your turning from your sin, repenting, and then turning to Christ and putting your, your faith in Him. And it's like this. You just repeat it to yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I confess my sin. And today I turn from my sin and I turn to You. I believe You died for me. That You were buried and rose again. And today I put all my hope and all my trust in you. Help me to live for you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want, you can look up. I want to, let me give you this instruction as we come to our time of invitation. If you, if you prayed that prayer, let me encourage you to step out and just let people know that you made a decision. There's no, no commitment to the church. We're just asking you to say, hey, God, I, I put my trust in Christ today. Would you do that? Or maybe today, if you're dealing with a weight or a struggle, would you come and deal with it today? Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your, your word. Thank you for the truth in it. Thank you for the inspiration uh, in your word and looking at those Old, Old Testament saints. Thank you for how you remind us of our, our destination. You have a goal for us in life. Thank you for uh, letting us know we need to have some preparation in our life. And right now we come to the moment where we start putting, putting some feet to that. Lord, help us to respond accordingly. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, would you, would you sing and respond as the Lord leads you? To every question.